New Perspectives on Irish History, Dreams, Themes, Myth and Ecology. This series looks at Irish history from different perspectives, starting from the time when the island of Ireland was a great forest. It talks about the first inhabitants, their lifestyles and how they differed from the world we live in today. The series seeks to give perspectives other than the military-focused accounts of previous historical series. This programme features interviews with Lord Ross of Burcastle and Andrew St. Ledger of the Woodland League. They will talk about how trees were valued by our ancestors. And we're going where the grass is growing green To a mystic land that no one else has seen Where oblivion takes the mind's reality And reality fades into a memory John O'Donoghue, philosopher, shaman and poet, best known for his writings, particularly Anamkara, speaks of the importance of our connectedness to the earth. So in a, in a certain way, you see, this landscape belongs to no one, but belongs primarily to itself. And um, landscape is the firstborn of creation. It was here for hundreds of millions of years before ever a plant or an animal arrived here. It was also here, obviously, before the human face ever emerged on Earth. And it must have seemed very strange to the ancient eye of landscape when we arrived here. So landscape has a huge pre-human memory. Uh, it precedes everything that we know. I often think that you could talk almost about a clayography the whole biography of the earth. All things are connected, like the blood which unites one family. All things are connected. Whatever befalls the earth, befalls the sons of the earth. Andrew St. Ledger of the Woodland League, an Irish non-governmental tree organisation, takes us back to the time when Ireland was a great oak forest. We felt it was a <clears throat> there was a, a huge vacuum in the Irish psyche that um, needed to addressing. So that, that's where, you know, we have three aims, which are the regeneration of the great forests of Ireland, the restoration of the forest culture of Ireland, and the reform of current state forestry policy, which is an adopted uh, English economic, commercial, industrial model, basically and uh, we don't think it's adequate or, or fit for purpose. Ireland's inhabitants were once forest people and pagan, for want of a better word. So would you explain to our listeners what that was? Well, first of all, when we say the Irish inhabitants, we, we go back to the earliest uh, records of man in Ireland would be about 8,000 years ago. This is about 2,000 years after the ice started melting. And so the, the first peoples here were, were a um, Mesolithic people. They were Stone Age people. And basically they were, they were the hunter-gatherer fishermen and collectors of uh, wild foods, basically. The very early Irish people. All around the earth breathe deep I come alive again 
I am the green man of the woods, the wounded and the broken land. Subsequently, you, you would have had then the, the Neolithic coming in, which would be the farming um, people who had, again, a little bit more advanced technology. You're still looking at Stone Age. The next wave of an, in invasions, you could say, or there were probably, again, subsequent people's comings and going. So you would have had the Celts coming in, they say, about 800 BC, 7800 BC. When we talk about these ancient times from 10,000 years ago, you know, we talk about Stone Age, we talk about Iron Age, we talk about Bronze Age. We forget that each of these ages had a common denominator, and that's wood, the forest. The forest was heavily utilised, and all of those societies and civilizations were built and depended on the use and gifts from the, for- the woods and the forest. Yeah. And you mentioned pagan earlier, just mm. in regard to the inhabitants. The, yeah. the word pagan comes from a Latin word, um, pagus, and, and basically... A pe- pagus is, is a wild wood mystic. So we have within mm. the word pagan, mm. we have the connection to the w- to the forest, the woods. It was basically people who found their spirituality in nature and in the trees in particular. Yeah. And in Ireland, we developed a very unique um, woodland culture, where the the whole society and the laws, ancient laws of Ireland, were customized. Um, we even developed a unique language around the trees and we again it's replicated in other parts of the world at the same time that um the, the other peoples were also very much woodland people it seems we we all evolved and came from the forests all of the cultures again you're looking at a very rapid evolution between the mesolithic the neolithic and then the up to the iron age between the neolithic and the iron age or sorry the bronze age and then the iron age the understanding that nearly their shelter, their weapons, their boats, their containers made from bark, made from simple wooden wooden vessels, their plates, their everything, the whole of the society was wood related. So why wouldn't why would they not then look at venerating the trees and deifying them and seeing that that you know um, seeing spirituality in the forest. Yeah. But going further again, or, or taking that a step further, we also realised that ancient peoples around a certain time also developed shamanistic char- characters within mm. the tribe. Mm. These this would be the priest, the beginning of a priesthood. And mm. these shaman who became the druids in Ireland, who were the druids, they were known to use uh, mushrooms to yeah. basically create visions. The mushroom is from the forest. And the, the visioning uh, under the use of psychedelic mushrooms would have also enabled them to connect with the spirits of the forest and the trees. So they would have communicated between the people and the trees in particular. They would have also recognized spirits in the stones, spirits in water, spirits in air, spirits in fire. Um, you're talking about a people that lived in an almost dream-like state mm-hmm. who, who recognized the spirit, spirit world around them. And as I say, used the druid or the shaman to communicate between those worlds. Yeah. But it would appear the tree spirits were very, very dominant. This is part of a nomos song, I Love the Trees. I love the trees, the willow, the hazel, the apple tree. 
The blackthorn, the silver birch trees, standing in the moonlight, I love them all. On a visit to Burcastle, I spoke to Lord Ross of Burcastle and Gardens. I think Ireland is today one of the most deforested countries in Europe. It is tragically so, with the one of the smallest proportions of tree cover anywhere. But it was essentially the British who felled uh, all the trees from the 16th, particularly through the 17th, 18th, and through the 19th century, largely, I think, to build the ships of the Royal Navy, many of which were made out of Irish oak, and that's why the most of the oak trees were, were felled, and there was so very, very few oak felled here. But it wasn't only oak. For instance, here in Burr, we had... Uh, we were famous for having some of the largest, oldest box trees anywhere. And they were, most of them, only one little avenue remains, were felled in the First World War to make the fuselages, in particular the propellers of the earliest aeroplanes of the original Royal Air Corps. Do you, do you think that someday the government agencies and the people that plant trees might decide to change from the conifers to the native trees, like you have, say, in a place like Vermont, where you've wonderful autumn colour and that kind of thing, and not the dull look of the Sitka spruce? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, this is a time of change. We've suffered terribly, as so many others have, from the policy of quilture over the years. They've alienated... 44 hectares of this estate, but now, and particularly with the growth, literally, it's not again to say so, of Crown, there is a far more enlightened policy yeah. now dominating, yeah. and we're getting away from these terrible plantings of mm. Sitka spruce, mm-hmm. particularly with rectangular lines up in a completely unnatural way up the sides of mountains. Yes. Right. Yeah. And we are now getting back to what is native and more natural or naturalistic planting, yeah. following the lines of, of contours mm. rather than uh, straight lines upside of mountains. I'm, I'm much more hopeful now, and I think there is a, a greater awareness and a greater appreciation mm. of the beauty of the environment and a greater sense of identity, mm. as to make people more aware mm. of our marvellous tree alphabet. And it's, it saddens me that there were so few people in Ireland mm. who, seemed to, who seemed to understand mm. that this is, to my knowledge, the only country which has a language and an alphabet yeah. that was directly associated with trees. Now, the OM alphabet was what you were ta- talking about there, where every letter is a tree and every tree is a letter. So when people were talking, they were talking trees. <laughs> they were literally talking trees, yeah. but we're not quite sure how. Yeah. Would you be optimistic then, in, in educational terms, like the the environment is not big on the on the curriculum in schools? That's one thing I've noticed. So, do you think it should be more important in the curriculum in the primary and secondary schools, the environment and ecology and this kind of thing? I I, I certainly do think that it should form a more important part of the curriculum. There were many little uh, suggestions that I would like to make to our Minister for Education, if I could 
have his ear for five or ten minutes. But you can say some of it now, if you like. Well, I, th- I think two things in particular should be inserted far more firmly into the mm. educational system and not at the expense of religion, as he is going yeah, to suggest. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, one is a greater awareness of things like the, the, the tree alphabet, the importance of trees mm. and the extent to which trees dominated the, the life or keys to the life of the people who lived in Ireland before. Yeah. And let's remember here that we're not only talking about the Celtic people, but the people who were here long before the Celts yes. even arrived in the 8th, 8th century BC. We play excerpts from a number of environmental songs relevant to the themes of this series. Emmanuel Nisser of the Ghana branch of Forest Friends composed a special Forest Friends song. What is happening in the world today? The planet cries for help. High rate of deforestation in Africa and the world over. The planet now lies fragile. The rising climate change and its attendant problems, the most imminent. If we can do anything to save the planet, this is the time, for it might be too late with any little delay. If you and I put it, if we are to go on living together on the earth, we must all be responsible for it. Celts. At one time, the lands and influence of the Celts stretched across Europe as far east as Turkey. The Celts were a heterogeneous group of people who became the dominant force in Central Europe from about 1000 BCE to 200 BCE. They had an oral tradition and were reluctant to commit to writing their philosophy, ethos, value systems, history and traditions. As a result, for the earliest descriptions of these people, and their way of life we are dependent on what was recorded by Romans and Greeks. The Greeks called the people Celtae or Galactae, a version of the name the people themselves used. 
Like other primal cultures, the Celts resisted being brought into a linear history and their ethos configured what has been described as a kind of dream time with, as it were, an eternal present. Such as was experienced by the Aborigine of Australia with unchanging patterns. Sacred, related to the other world where the earth was revered as the goddess or mother and the tribe was central. Often depicted in the Celtic view of cosmology, the physical world was situated between an underworld and an upper world with a vertical axis mundi, a world tree joining all three worlds together. For the primitives, life was viewed as an unfolding spiral, not a linear journey, as in the case of much of nature, such as, for example, the sunflower, the snail shell, the seasons, the Celtic wheel of the year, the sun, the moon and the stars. The priestly caste of druids and bards, originally shamans, committed to memory all that was necessary for the continuity of the tribe, laws, genealogy and traditions. The Druids were expert in natural healing methods, were learned in the understanding of the universe and imparted their knowledge over the widest range of expertise. Can you tell me who historically destroyed the Irish ancient oak forests? That was um, essentially people started farming. I don't know, I don't know necessarily if they came over from England, but it was just, well, people essentially settled. They realised, cut down the trees, they used it to build settlements and easy farmland. I know there's nowhere near as much forest as there was when Ireland wasn't lived on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Better was the British. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the, the British, British came and wrecked it. <laughs> Can you tell me what the, the wood might have been used for? Firewood, maybe. Uh, building homes and mills and cranogs. Pearls, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Viking ships. No. Uh, okay. I'm going to say British ships. <laughs> ships and uh, houses and log cabins and <laughs> um, stuff like that. Celtic festivals. The Celts divided their year into two halves. The dark half, November to April inclusive, and the bright half, May to October inclusive. With eight festivals, four festivals of the sun and four of the moon the former being the summer and winter equinoxes and solstices, longest and shortest days. The four festivals of the moon heralded in the beginning of each of the seasons or quarters of the year, Imulg, spring, Bealtaine, summer, Lunasa, autumn, and Samhain, winter. Traditionally, festival celebrations began on the eve or night before and could go on for several days. There were other important festivals, fairs, anox, some of which were organised on a provincial basis, for example the Talchan Games, which included a whole range of games, a fair and cultural celebrations, which was held near Tara in County Mead, and from which the town of Telltown gets its name. The tree by Cahal Sharkey. I am the tree that will be destroyed tomorrow. I will be cut down and laid low. My dignity will be hacked at. My limbs will be strewn in the dirt of the street. My strong limbs. The white blossom of my laugh will be stolen. Everything I have stored in the marrow of my memories will be destroyed. My first tears of joy. My first leaves of hope. The first syllable of music 
pulsing through my branches. Can you name a few trees that are indigenous to Ireland? Ash. 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 Yeah. The birch. Birch. Uh, willow. Is there a willow tree? Yeah. Hawthorn tree. Well, that's all I can think of at the moment. Fair play. Where's <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> chestnut tree? <laughs> Um, I don't know any other trees. <laughs> Birch, uh, roan, holly, ash, willow, and cherry. Mythological cycles. Over 150 stories of the Celts have survived. In the early 19th century, German scholars unlocked the code of ancient Irish grammar and brought the stories to light. They grouped the stories into cycles based on the content and themes. The Ulster cycle, the Fenian cycle, the mythological cycle and the cycle of the kings. Some examples are Deirdre of the Sorrows and Cú are from the Ulster cycle, Oisín and Neve from the Fenian cycle. The Children of Lyr is from the mythological cycle, while Niall of the Nine Hostages is from the cycle of the kings. Why, uh, why do you think Irish mythology and folklore is so important today? Because they're good. Tonville Cullen is fantastic. Absolutely. Is it... They talk about Homer. I think... I, I don't know. Homer's pretty good. But the Tonville Cullen is wonderful. There are no heroes in it. Fergus is the closest thing to a hero in it. And he'd be a hero on Irish terms, which is... Uh, he'd, there would be some ambiguity about him. But he is the one no, truly noble spirit. I think we've travelled the world quite a bit and I think Ireland is one of the very few cultures that celebrate and relish and remember their history as well and as proud yeah, yeah. as they do. And as someone that isn't from here, part of what we enjoy is very much learning what you do and you've been through and it's been a fairly checkered history, mm. but you still celebrate it and keep it. I think you should be very proud of that. I think that's one of the most wonderful things about Ireland is the history, no matter how bleak it's been, and the mythology and the stories, I think, are fantastic. I love them. I love them. Brilliant. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Earliest Irish settlements. The earliest Irish settlement that has been found is at Mount Sandal on the banks of the River Ban near Coleraine, County Derry. A Mesolithic Middle Stone Age settlement the settlement dated 7,600 to 7,900 BC. There are very, very many other ancient relics of past history, including Belderig, Note, Doubt, Newgrange, Loch Crew, Portnabrown, Pro League, Drumbeg. Many of these ancient monuments were interconnected with each other and with key points in the calendar year and the position of the sun major turning points in the calendar, key aspects were celebrated in festivals. Can you tell me about the work of a druid in ancient Ireland? They'd be like the priests of modern society. They'd be all religious and stuff. On <laughs> <laughs> the train. The train for like 20 years. They were part of Aestana, was it? Yeah. Mm. There was like uh, Bards, fillies, uh, craftsmen and all that. They told people about like the gods. So it was like Bound, Lug, Bridget, I think. And then they had the month celebrating them. Can you tell me, do you know anything else the Druids might have done? 
just uh, rituals and that. Like they'd make sacrifices to the gods, would they? Bless them before they go into battle and all of that kind of thing. They were very in touch with nature and they would have had great knowledge of herbs, plants and the forest and how to use those for certain types of primitive medicine for the Celtic Tua. They kind of faded out when Christiani came. This is a poem about Finton from Podrick Collum's Anthology of Irish Verse, 1922. Should any inquire about Erin, it is I who can tell him the truth concerning the deeds of each daring invader since time was a youth. First Cassir, Bit's venturesome daughter, came here o'er the eastern sea, and fifty fair damsels she brought her to solace her warriors three. Bit died at the foot of his mountain, and Ladra on top of his height, and Cassir by Boyle's limpid fountain ere rushed down the flood in its might. For a year while the waters encumber the earth at Tultuna of strength, I slept, none enjoyed such sweet slumber as that which I woke from at length. When Partholon came to the island from Greece in the eastern land, I welcomed him gaily to my land and feasted the whole of his band. Again, when death seized on the strangers, I roamed the land, merry and free, but both careless and fearless of dangers, till blithe Nemed came o'er the sea. The fear bullocks and roving fear galleons came next like the waves in their flow. The fear denons arrived in battalions and landed in Eris Mayo. Then came the wise Tuha de Danon, concealed in black clouds from their foe. I feasted with them near the Shannon, though that was a long time ago. After them came the children of Mila. From Spain or the southern waves, I lived with the tribes as their file and chanted the deeds of their braves. Time ne'er my existence could wither, from death's grasp I always was freed, till Patrick the Christian came hither to spread the Redeemer's pure creed. My name it is Finton, the fair man of Bokra, the son, you must know it. I lived through the flood in my lair, man, I am now an illustrious poet. We've come to the end of this programme. You have been listening to new perspectives on Irish history, dreams, themes, myth and ecology, part of the Sound and Vision series of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. I'm John Houghton, and I would like to thank all those who took part in this programme and the research and production team, myself, Paul Loughran, Alan Weldon and Neil Doyle. The program was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.